You're listening to the My NFT Journey podcast. Each week our host Andy Storch will share his journey and newly found passion for non-fungible tokens. Welcome to My NFT Journey. I am your host Andy Storch and this is a show where I share my NFT journey as well as the journeys of others and lessons that we've learned along the way and interesting things going on in the NFT and Web3 space so that we can help you along your NFT journey wherever you might be, whether you're just starting out or you're in it for a little while, but you're still trying to figure out what the heck is going on, just like me and a lot of other people out there. Uh, One of the interesting things about this space is, you know, really only being a year or more old, there are not too many true experts out there. But I invited our guest today to come on after I saw a couple of really great Twitter conversations that he was starting. So my guest today is Riddles on Twitter. And Riddles, again, had a Twitter thread about the future of NFTs, really the history and futures of NFTs, and then a lot of other really interesting Twitter threads that I saw. He's a collector and enthusiast, much like myself, and uh, I'm excited to have him here. So Riddles, welcome. Hey, Andy. Thank you for having me. Uh, and I am, I'm super excited to talk about this, any opportunity that I get. So I am you know, looking forward to diving in whatever you, know, you think people are going to benefit from. Yeah, cool. And as I was saying to you before we started recording, I've had a few different guests on the podcast since we started about six months ago. You're my first guest to come on who is not doxxed, essentially, like we're not using your real name, face, that sort of thing. What can you tell us about yourself, like, you know, real life versus NFT? And why are you choosing to go this route? I think a lot of people might be curious, especially people that are newer to the space and see that, hey, there are a lot of people out there who are choosing to be anonymous in the space versus people who are completely out or doxxed like I am. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, I don't really have a problem being doxxed in in specific uh, ways, but this space, when I kind of started, it was a very interesting space that was different from my traditional life. So I can dox my, you know, background and professional uh, career a little bit here. So I did traditional finance as, a, as an education. I went to business school. I've been doing management consulting for over six years now. And I primarily do consulting for asset and wealth managers, the largest ones uh, around the world, right? So the, if you think about the big names, the top 10 that you know, manage potentially trillions, millions of trillions of dollars, I advise them on uh, their business strategy, execution of their strategy, and, and what have you. Um, so when I entered this space, obviously, you know, my firm has a, a specific perspective, right? The firm, the house, there's a house view on things. And I, like many quote unquote degens, have a, a very interesting and a progressive view of, of the markets, right? And sometimes when you start off in this space, you're like, okay, well, if I really want to speak my mind and if I really want to be unfiltered, which I think a lot of people appreciate, yep. let's start off not by doxing myself, right? And, and then over time, as I started tweeting, what I realized is that when you don't dox yourself, um, the people on the other side who are reading the tweets are almost, you know, they have more of an imagination to perceive it. They emphasize mm-hmm. with it more because there's no preconceived biases as to who's talking about what. And I think the idea bubbles to the surface a little bit better, right? Mm-hmm. And and ironically and, and funnily enough, sometimes you know I, I invest in uh, women led and women focused NFTs a lot, right. and, and I'll have a PFP where you know a lot of people think I'm a female tweeting stuff, right? right. And they and and they tell me why they think that, right? Um, they think I write like like you know in, in a feminine way or how, <laughs> however they, they want to perceive it, right? But yeah. I, but I but I think that's the point, right? The point is that 
sometimes, you know, when you're saying something, it's an idea, right? Whether or not it's coming from, you know, a man, a woman, or another gender, race, whatever, it, it comes with some type of uh, preconceived notion often yep. to people. And I, sure. think, I think when you, it, when you kind of choose to not dox, it's, 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 it's different, right? So that's, that's been my um, thought process throughout. That, that makes sense. And for those who are really new to the space and we say doxed or not doxed, essentially means do people <laughs> know your true identity or not, right? It's like documentation. So I am doxed. I'm out there. My name is on everything. My Twitter handle is my first and last name. Your Twitter handle is rills.eth, which is not your name. And we're not sharing yeah. your name today. So that's kind of the, the difference there. And you also mentioned PFP, which is profile picture. And I noticed that, yeah, yours tends to be a female or female project like World of Women, which is a project that I've been into for quite some time, but I'd never changed my PFP t- to that, right? So it's it, because right. it can cause those preconceived notions, which is fine, right? You're like people can read into it what they want to read yeah. into. But what's most interesting is the content that you're putting out there. And before we get to that, I'm curious, like, what was your entry into Web3 and the NFT space? Like how, when and how did that go down? Yeah, that's a very good question. So first, when I started dabbling in the whole crypto space, it was probably around like 2017, 2018. I bought some, you know, Bitcoin and Ethereum on an exchange. I didn't know what it was really. And I hadn't done my research on it, but I just bought some because, you know, it was a thing to do. And the way the markets were moving, it was almost like, you know, you're gambling a little bit because when you buy stocks, it starts, uh, the markets, you know, open at a certain time, maybe 930 Eastern, they close uh, at four or whatever. Mm -hmm. But this market was 24 seven. So it was intriguing, right? And I think I caught the tail end of the old market. So I probably wrote it down a little bit too. I didn't invest too much money, but I was like, okay, well, this is interesting. This probably nothing to it, right? It was it was something. Forgot about it for, for a while, but I did listen to a podcast, I think around like 2018, 2019, around like not to evaluate something based off of the latest peaks, but to evaluate it based off of, you know, the origination. So yes, it might be down, you know, 40%, 50%, maybe higher over the last two years, but it's up like 200, you know, 2000% over the last mm-hmm. eight or something, right? So Again, I didn't really delve too much into it. And I am in a, this is getting a little personal. And I think it's fine because I'm not doc, so it doesn't matter yet. But I found myself in a position, I live in Canada, as you know, where the income taxes for high earners are really high. Yeah. And the home prices are, are extremely high. So in Toronto, if you want to buy a, a detached home, it's going to cost you somewhere, a decent one, right? It's going to cost you somewhere from like 1.5 to $2 million for, for a decent home, right? Mm-hmm. If you think about a, a person who's done, you know, two different degrees and gone through the educational system, there's obviously student, you know, payments that you, that you have to pay and then you're kind of paying it back and you start working. Even though I was earning a really high salary for, for the last two, three years, yeah. um, I noticed that my, my purchasing power was actually decreasing right. at, and, and I was out earning like every year, my salary would increase by like 40%, right? And, and I think right now I'm probably like in the top, you know, two, 3% of, of an income bracket, but mm-hmm. it didn't translate to a net worth bracket, right? Yeah. So that's distinction or that difference made me realize that I, uh, and, and I read it in a book, I think the Bitcoin standard or, or, or say to or someone else said it, you almost have to earn your, earn your money twice in this economy. Right. So you, mm. you first earn it by doing the job yep. and then you earn it again by beating inflation. 
right? Mm-hmm. So that's what kind of led me down the whole Raul Paul, um, who, who recently retweeted me, by the way, that was a surprise. Nice. <laughs> and uh, he kind of, you know, I think I watched, I watched one of his YouTube videos. It was absolutely phenomenal where he kind of walks through his learning journey. And, and I've, you know, being in the space that I'm in in asset management, um, he's an ex hedge fund guy. So whatever he says, I, I, I totally understand. I have a background in economics. So I was like, okay, I, I get this thing, right? And I'm listening to Sailor a little bit on Bitcoin. So I get interested in crypto. I see the future, right? And then through crypto, there was this other interview that I watched on Real Vision, which was basically an interview by this, by this dude named G Money. Who talks about mm. who talked about why he bought a crypto punk? Right. So, th- so this was probably 2020, let's say like, I don't know, June or May or June or, or sometime. And this is when like right after Board Apes kind of started. Okay. Which I think was right? April 2021. Yeah. A- exactly. So Board Apes were getting a little expensive at the time, but I was like, okay, well, here's this crypto punk idea. And I totally understand, you know, what this is. If we're thinking about crypto as digital asset ownership, right? Yeah. This is like non-fungible digital asset ownership. And that's just fungible digital asset ownership. So I understood it. I was like, okay, I need to figure out how to buy NFTs because it, it yeah. makes sense. Right. Didn't buy a board ape I as everyone would, just you know, feel really bad about that. that decision. Yeah, don't that's we all right? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So so what was cool was so I started and I, I was like there was this other project that was happening. I think it was called Vogu at the time. It was it was like the next kind of cool project with a lot of hype that a lot of board apes were minting. And then this this little known project called World of Women was also minted the day before that I started. Right. So yeah. I looked at the World of Women. I was like, I don't really know what to make of this, but this seems like if there is an ever a future where this whole NFT thing um, makes it big, I feel like there's gonna be a token, you know, women-led, women-focused project that's really going to shine. And this seemed right. like the first one. Yeah. So I picked up one at like 0.068 ETH just the nice. day after it minted. Yeah. In hindsight, I should have picked up 400. Yeah, of course. Right? Uh, <laughs> if I if I had been smart, right? Or if I knew the future, which no one really does. Right. So then I kind of observed it. I got in the Discord and then I just saw the price kind of just go way up, right? Like to like 0.3 the next day. Then Gary Vee's tweeting about it. Logan Paul's buying one. There's just a lot of celeb activity and little things back then used to make a lot more of an impact on projects than they do now, right? And I can get into specific examples of, of what I mean by that. Yeah. But but that's kind of been my overall journey, right? To like, how do you, you know, become a person who really you know, advises people in the capital markets, but then how do you find yourself in, in NFTs? And then hopefully I've, I've been able to cover that. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you're like, you got to be aware of what's going on and also get a little lucky sometimes with the timing. You mentioned World of Women. Yeah, I came in a little bit after that. I remember I came back from a trip in August and Gary V posted a video talking about World of Women and it was at 0.7 ETH and I went and bought two of them. And awesome. still hold those two today. And, and obviously it's done quite well. It ran up all the way to 12. Now I think the floor unfortunately is around five, but we know long-term it's going to be a, yeah. be a great investment. You know, you talk about your own personal history going into NFTs. Right. Where do you see all of this going? And I'm referring back to like, when I stumbled upon you, I saw this tweet that you had back on April 12th that was talking about you know, kind of the long-term thesis of this is, this is where things are going. And you, you, like, <laughs> you get, right, you get in, 
because of a certain, you know, PFP project. And like, then the space continues to expand and now you see companies jumping in. So like, what are you seeing? And what if you could expand upon that, that tweet thread? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's a great tweet thread that also goes hand in hand with my cycles thread. So uh, mm. for, for those who want to follow riddles.eth, um, check out my pinned tweet. And, and that was definitely a lot more popular than the one that we're going to cover, but, but I'll cover both uh, just for bonus and because and Andy's awesome. <laughs> so basically just to walk people through history, right? Like it's important to realize when things are a proof of concept and, and little things and the market cap for it is really small, right? So at one point, you know, Bitcoin, you had to prove that it had value by buying a couple pizzas in the real world, right? Mm-hmm. Similarly, for I believe for CryptoPunks, they issued all the CryptoPunks for free. And then right. maybe you had to pay very minimal gas prices, which did mean or maybe didn't mean anything. And, and once you did that, you kind of, they started trading in an open market, right? So then all of a sudden, you know, and in CryptoPunks versus Bored Apes, they have different property rights, which mm-hmm. we can get into later. But at the time, those CryptoPunks were like the token, kind of a status symbol. And the use case for that is really, you know, I, I use this word jokingly, like vanity in some ways, right? The same reason someone would buy like a Patek Philippe over a Casio. They both tell time, but, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, it's just a, a showpiece, so to speak, for people digitally on their, on their Twitter or, or their yep. media platform. So, so that proof of concept was, was okay. It was cool. NFTs have value. There's this, there's this way of doing a 10K project which means that it has 10,000 pieces, which is very different from doing a one-of-one art piece, right? So I know, uh, Andy, you have some you know, listeners that are probably you know, just tuning into this whole NFT world. So the use case for artists is very natural and very simple, right? So if, if I'm a, a Picasso and I draw a bunch of things and I'm selling it in the streets of Spain, let's say, and someone I sell something to someone for $3 or you know, three Spanish or pesos, whatever, Mm -hmm. then essentially you're going to never make money off of future sales of that, right? Whereas for artists, it's programmed, right? So you can set the price that the royalty that you gain from every single transaction. So until perpetuity, you can make money off of your assets. And on top of that, I was listening to some other podcasts where artists were talking about how before for you to really have access to a marketplace where you really ship digital art. If you were a digital artist, there was no way for you to really make money. And they would do some stuff with their USB keys and, and kind of sell stuff, but then people can copy and paste and there's no traceability, right? So the one-of-one use case of art, that's more of an obvious one, right? But the, the 10K PFP where you build a community and you issue a token that's not identical, but similar enough for you to still identify with that community. That was the proof of concept that was new from a 10K perspective that I think the CryptoPunks project has kind of proliferated, right? Or throughout what, what a lot of people see now. And to work off of that history, so it's like, okay, fine. You have this PFP. It's a status symbol. It has some utility. You show off with it. Cool. But then when Bored Apes came along, they were kind of, you know, a lot more innovative, right? Like the mm-hmm. pictures were not so pixelated, not a 24 by 24, whatever the pixels CryptoPunks use. It was more, the art was cooler, right? It had a cool element and the cool element is kind of important in this space, right? Because it has to go viral. It has to catch on. So the Bored Apes, when, when they started kind of 
essentially building, right? That's, that's the real um, comparison to venture capital here, right? Because they're essentially building a startup. They're building a brand, right? There's just another great tweet that says, what if Lacoste were to issue 10,000 similar looking alligators and said that we were going to build a global tennis apparel brand, mm. right? Yeah. Would you invest in that at the ground level as a community where you start kind of benefiting, right? Because for folks here who are more, for folks tuning in who are more familiar with traditional investing, you know, if you're a startup, you start off with your mom and dad, maybe your, your close friends and you raise some capital, then you maybe, you know, your parents know someone who is an angel investor, has a little bit more capital, you raise from that perspective. Then maybe you get in front of some VCs that are earlier stage. You raise some capital there. Then maybe you know once you do well with VCs, you know you talk to some smaller private equity shops. Maybe they invest in you there, and then you get into you do other rounds, future rounds with bigger private equity shops. Then you issue an IPO and you go public, right? Whereas now you're literally going public globally twenty four seven with mm-hmm. the issuance of this ten thousand or however many tokens you're issuing, right? The art is just the, like, don't look at the art as art. It's much more than that, right? So that on a global internet money has never been possible. So you're basically IPOing in my, you know, opinion, I'm using this word like loosely. Um, Obviously there's a lot of regulatory clarity that needs to come in this space, but you're IPOing from second zero, right? And, And that's what, really fast tracks and makes this pace makes this space move so quickly. And I think that background is really important for people to think about as they think about where the space may be going in the future. Yeah, it really is, you know, fascinating where we've come from and then how fast things are moving along to get to where we are. All right, that will do it for part one of my interview with Riddles.eth. As you heard him say, he's not doxxed, which means he's not sharing his full name and occupation and what he does. Obviously, he shared a lot of context for the type of work that he does and his background and everything. And you can find him if you want to follow him and learn more on Twitter, searching for riddles.eth. And he should come up. He's amassed quite a following so far from the things he's tweeted in a short amount of time. I enjoy following him. So go check that out and stay tuned for part two. We're going to dive deeper into this Twitter thread that he put up about the future of NFTs. Stay tuned. Thanks again for listening to My NFT Journey. Hey, I wanted to take a moment to let you know that our podcast right now is sponsored by Voice.com. Voice is an easy place for creators to create carbon-neutral NFTs. That's right. You may have heard about NFTs from the outcry around environmental impact and how much energy is being burned by Bitcoin and Ethereum and other cryptocurrencies and NFTs and tokens traded on the blockchain. Well, Voice is 65,000 times more energy efficient than Bitcoin and 17,000 times more energy efficient than Ethereum. So if you're looking to create some NFTs very easily or buy some NFTs, especially low-cost NFTs, very easily with US dollars and without 
burning lots of energy or impacting the environment, then check out voice.com. I am working on creating my own collection of NFTs on voice, and I've found so far that it's extremely easy. All you need is the right graphic, the right strategy, or what you want to create. Decide what you want to give to people when they buy the NFTs, and then go set it up. It only takes a few minutes. So go check it out, voice.com, and let me know what you think.